um, beautiful morning. They said it was supposed to rain. It rained overnight, thankfully, and now we'll have a beautiful day today. So I hope you have something really good planned for this afternoon. Summer is moving along, and we're looking at fall already. Um, this morning's message is going to be from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, and it's in, on page 996 in the Pew Bible. So if you could turn to that uh, place now. And if you'll notice on the bulletin, I've entitled this uh, message, Speaking Truth in a World of Anti-Truth. And you may think that's kind of a strange title. Um, you might have said, well, why not just simply uh, entitle it Speaking Truth in a World of Lies? And um, I guess I wanted to emphasize the importance of that we're, the human society is now is living in a morally upside-down world. And it just seems like there's a, a complete rejection of the Bible and Christianity is being forced in all walks of life, or like a complete rejection of the Bible and Christianity is being forced in all walks of life from, from the roles and responsibilities of the government to what laws should be enforced to the challenge against the nuclear family, parenting, sexuality, and it has even come to our own identity, how we think of ourselves. And the, all of these things are being seriously questioned. Um, living in a world of anti-truth expresses the absurdity of whatever the Bible says we must do the op whatever we and what we're supposed to do, then the opposite must be true. So I hope you get that kind of idea in your mind that, that um, if on a closer look at all of what's going on, it's really anti-biblical, anti-Christian in the world that we have that we're faced today. Culture has adopted so much from the Bible in the past, and evil persons are wanting to rid the earth of its influence and are working tirelessly to promote an anti-biblical thinking. It's astonishing to see how fast and how far the world has gone in the acceptance of the absurd and the fantastical. We're being programmed to live in the metaverse. You all know the metaverse, right? Uh, Facebook is now called the metaverse. And you know, experiencing virtual reality, which is a bad term, which is anything but real. It should be really called virtual fantasy because the worlds that they create in these, uh, these bubbles or whatever they are, I don't even know what they call virtual reality uh, headsets, um, is anything but real. Um, it promotes a fantasy world. Technology and all our excessive use of it has made us to think that what is not real is real and vice versa, what is real is not really real. That's, again, an upside-down world we're living in. God doesn't exist. Uh, God doesn't exist, and whatever you decide is true is true. And that's where we're at in our present time. So we've come to a place in history where truth is no longer an objective reality. Postmodernism, and maybe some of you don't know what that is, or maybe you do in philosophy, is a way of defining truth, and it was introduced in about the mid-1900s. And admitted that there, and in postmodernism, it was admitted that there was a such thing as objective truth. There is a truth out there somewhere, kind of like Plato's cave, if you're familiar with that philosophy, that there's a truth out there, but we just see shadows of it, right? We just we can't really get at it, and that the human mind can't even uh, is incapable in understanding it or experiencing it. 
It appears that even the idea of absolute truth, which is what the Bible is all about, is being changed to say that there is no absolute truth, but that truth is fluid to the one considering it. Truth, considered, truth is now considered subjective to each individual. And the absurdity of post, I'll say post, postmodern thinking, which is that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And I would li- I'd like you to challenge you with that when you cross the street, either the bus is there or it's not, right? It's either absolutely there or it's not. And uh, if you think that way, then you'll be in uh, for a, quite a surprise. And the absurdity of post, postmodern thinking of that there is no such thing as absolute truth is that, that serious consideration to, to fluidity of universal truth, such as even mathematics, two plus two are being discussed seriously that it may not actually be four. Absolute truth, even in mathematics, are being challenged within mainstream thinking. And depending on who you are, it may not equal four. That's the craziness of the world we're living in right now. You can see the danger of such thinking. God's word and what it says to us and to us all is becoming less and less viable in the arena of ideas. In fact, such moral codes being imposed upon culture, such moral codes such as the Bible being imposed upon culture is considered harmful. The tolerance of Christianity has almost completely run out Psalm 2 pretty much describes the extent of the world's rejection towards the Bible and Christianity has gone. And Psalm 2 is clearly, 1 to 3, it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers that take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's how far it's gone that... Even the government is just saying, let's, get, let's just get rid of Christianity. Let's get rid of the Bible. It is, it is doing harm upon our society. What about absolute truth? Does it exist? Even 2 plus 2 doesn't actually equal 4. Maybe 2 plus 2 doesn't actually equal 4. Maybe there is no such thing as absolute truth. Maybe you, you have given up on the pursuit of truth. Like Pilate in the Bible in his response to Jesus about truth. What is truth? That's what he said. Jesus said, I came to testify of the truth. And Pilate, in his despondency and almost kind of a a cynicism, says, what is truth? You can hear the cynicism and the despondency of one who has given up trying to understand the meaning of life. And when when I was... Just uh, before we get, we're still into introduction on this whole matter of Second Timothy, and we will pray in a moment. But when I was first considering preaching on the subject of truth, uh, after spending four hours looking at YouTube and Facebook videos, I began to think about the immense volumes of information that totes the label as truth. We are all faced with the dilemma of trying to sort out what might be truth and what might not be true, what might be true and what might not be true. In my observations of society, becoming so mentally unhinged is that we are exposed to so much uncertain information. And we're seeing that. You just have to take a ride on the bus to see people becoming unhinged or go to the mall. And so much information that personally affects our daily lives, this information that we're getting isn't something uh, that just is totally unrelated about our lives. It is 
personally affecting us all. It seems that society is being tossed about in a sea of conflicting ideas without any anchor. And I believe a big part of that is that the wholesale rejection of God and his authority over our lives. The Bible is the only source of absolute, verifiable truth. But it must be accompanied by faith, of course, as well. Society is unraveling because the Bible no longer speaks to it. It is becoming more and more silent in all areas of human culture. For those of us who've not been, those who of us who've not followed after that path and resisted the anti-truth movement have been given the moral responsibility to resist and expose error, especially moral errors, sin. And the Bible says, and also in Timothy, Paul said that the church is the pillar and foundation of moral truth. That is, we are the only living representatives of the gospel to the world. And yes, it will be mostly rejected by the lost, but that doesn't mean we stop telling others of their need of Christ. Looking around at the absurdity in the minds of people today, we have a great responsibility to tell them of their need. So before we look at 2 Timothy, let's pause in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word, which has been given to us, sent down from heaven to us. And I pray that everyone who's in listening to this message will take on the, the thought that God's word is the anchor for the soul, and it's the only way that we can have peace in our minds. And Lord, I pray that anybody who does not have that anchor, that Lord, that today that will come to faith in Jesus and receive that anchor so that they can be able to face a world of anti-truth and upside down. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, I'll just get you to quickly uh, turn there, and I will read it for you, and then I'll uh, make comments on this in the sermon here now. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, page 996. And Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So our first point is that Christians need to speak the truth with authority, being confident to speak you look at verse 1, it says, I charge you in the presence of God. In giving the charge to Timothy to preach the word, we should consider that he did so from the perspective of a confident authority. Paul, after experiencing the power of Christ, was compelled to preach the gospel to the world. It was a personal knowledge and experience that he had that compelled him to give his life to the work of preaching the word. And so it is with us, those of you who have experienced salvation and have come to know the love of God in Christ, have received, are called upon to confidently share his word 
with others. Also to consider that we are in the know that God and his judgment is coming upon all mankind. We know that because the Bible tells us that, and we have come to trust that what the word of God is is true. His judgment is coming. I charge you before Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. We are called upon to warn sinners that their eternity is in jeopardy. The wages of sin is death. <clears throat> also, we need to recognize in Paul's words that we should be confident in the truthfulness of the word because it has come from God. What God says is true, and you should never doubt it. Stand for truth even when you're being assaulted by lies. <clears throat> the second point uh, under Christians need to speak the truth with authority, being ready to speak. Verse 2 says, be ready in season and out of season. And uh, a little, I'm, always I'm always about Greek, and this is how I get to this, is that I study the original languages, and, and it, it's a hard thing to get to, um, but if you can find, re there's really great tools online, and if anybody's interested in that, I can suggest some, a really good website for, the, for studying Greek words, which really just opens up the text. But the word season is the word karyos, which refers to an opportunity, an occasion, or an epoch of time. The season is an epoch of time. In season and out of season is another way of saying in every circumstances, whether it is convenient or not, preach the word. If you're waiting for an opportunity or when it's politically correct to share the gospel, the time will probably never come. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Maybe there will be a time when someone asks you about your faith. You need to be ready for it. This means studying the Bible and sharpening your theology so that when the time comes to speak the truth, you have an accurate account of it. Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work, John 9, 4. We need to understand that the window of opportunity for the ministry of speaking the truth is limited. A day is coming when truth will no longer be tolerated, which I think we are coming very close to that point in our history. The third point under uh, Christians need to speak the truth with authority, being patient in speaking. Verse 2 says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. Uh, the word complete is pa, which means all, all patience. Your attitude is essential. Be gentle, but firm. Kindly disagree when you need to. Reprove, convince your opponent, which is, I'm just looking at those words. Reprove means to convince your opponent about the Bible and, the, and faith in Christ. We need to work at convincing them. And that means ideas. We have to, we're in the realm of ideas that we need to convince people of faith in Christ. Use whatever it takes. Approach it with, a, with biblically accurate ideas. And that's why I say every Christian is a theologian. And you need to sharpen your theology. Because the ideas out there are going to challenge your faith. And you have to come up with an answer. And you need to be able to be um, good at it. It's like... Uh, Paul said in, in Timothy, in uh, 2 Timothy, may, uh, be a prude and be a workman who's not ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That's what we're to be. To rebuke, 
uh, is, a, is a good one for you lawyers is it's as in court, in a court of law, being the advocate of faith, redirecting the narrative in order to build a sound case before those who will judge it. And exhort, encourage those who may listen and begin to have, and who have begun to have faith and they're starting to listen to you. Bring them along, love them and encourage them as they consider new thoughts about Jesus. With complete patience. Patience being one of the fruits of the Spirit. Trusting completely in the Spirit of Christ as you speak the truth. See, there's a lot of moving parts in this. you got to be controlled by God. You need to have the Spirit of God in you. And you need to follow in this way. James 1.19 really sums it up nicely. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That is a spirit-led person who confronts error with truth and does it gently. Christians need to, uh, number two, or number two heading is Christians need to speak the truth because the window of time is limited. Verse three says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Notice the play on words Paul uses. The Greek word karyos is used three times in verses 2 and 3, which, uh, and would be and an accurate paraphrase would be, preach the word in season and out of season because there is a season coming. It's an interesting way of putting it. There is a season coming when the world, world will no longer tolerate sound words. It's like we need to practice it now because there's a time coming when, and it'll be an epoch of time that they will no longer tolerate. It's almost like a watershed moment where... Um, it's just, and I think we're, I think we're, I'm seeing that, like, and it's moving at such a fast rate towards, um, do you know what watershed means? I hope you, it's like, uh, it's a point where it just reaches a peak and it just goes in another direction, right? And that's where we've had, we've gotten to this kind of rejection, a complete rejection of the word of God and truth. And they will no longer tolerate sound words. Um, <clears throat> when I started uh, with this sermon or preparation, I was t- sharing with Pastor Matt about what my ideas were, and he, he passed over a book to me called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's, it was written in 2020 by a man by the name of Carl Truman, who is a Christian, and he draws from two other uh, philosophers, Philip Reif and Charles Taylor. You may know of some of those names there. They're in that book. And, and within Christian circles, it's being... It should be actually the book of the year for 2020 is Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, another difficult title, where he lays out a thesis regarding, regarding the modern mind and its rejection of truth as, and really in the heart, in the part, in the very root of it as objective truth that is subject. So uh, I should say it's rejection of truth as objective for truth that is subjective. He makes a very good argument that human society has for 150 years solely been programmed into believing the anti-truth and anti-Christian philosophies of Darwin, Nietzsche, Marx, and Freud. Each in their own sphere, Darwin's theory of human origins, going to Nietzsche and his God is dead, to Karl Marx and his anti-Christian model for government, and the final blow of Sigmund Freud and his rejection of moral restrictions in order to satisfy, satisfy one's sexual desires. And then added on to there, postmodernism, no, there is no objective truth or there's, 
or post-postmodern where there is no such thing as, it's moving towards a complete um, throwing away of biblical absolute truth. And that's where we're at with regards to the so-called, and it's, it's a book on the sexual revolution of modern times. The rise and triumph of the modern self has finally rid itself from the Bible and Christianity. And the result of the rise and triumph of the modern self is that God is no longer welcome in the arena, arena of ideas and values. But what's important, what, what, what is important is the psychological man, what he believes or he, she, she le- believes is true about themselves. That's where we've, we come to is that the psychological man is more important than community conventions, but the primacy of what one thinks and believes about themselves takes uh, first place over community. Um, and th- he argues this. And again, I think it's a book that every Christian should read, especially today, if you're concerned about the times we're living in. Um, all of this leads to a, all kinds of irrational absurdity. Uh, the rise and triumph of the modern self is a tongue-in-cheek title which implies the opposite, really. Really, it should be read the fall and decline of the modern self because we've rejected God in the process. Um, number three, Christians need to speak the truth because the enemy is elaborately sophisticated. Um, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers. Notice the emphasis of teaching here in 2 Timothy 4. Look at your text there. You see teaching, the word teaching, and in some nuances of it, and you see it in verse 2, complete patience with teaching and teaching. Verse 3, will not endure sound teaching. And verse 3, they will accumulate for themselves teachers. The assault against the truth comes from academia. Universities, social media, politicians and the like are all working together in their assault against the Bible. And that, those of you who are starting school, listen to this, you know. This is really what you're going to face when you go into university. Your faith has to be strong. As we go, go back to the whole idea of preparing yourself, you're going to be confronted with all kinds of, of, of ideas that are really anti truth, anti-biblical and anti-truth. And it's not, these, these things are not just random. Again, look closely at them and a close study of what's going on, and it is anti-biblical. It's anti-Christian. And at the source of it, Satan is at the source of it all. Satan being at the very root of it. As I mentioned before, you might think that all of the ideas that society is being formed and formed by are all random, but closer look At the root of these is that there's an evil agenda to remove God from all sectors of society. Has God actually said Genesis? Really? Has God actually said? Is the question challenging Christian faith and the truthfulness of Scripture? You you know where where I'm referring to. Satan and uh, Eve back in the garden. Eve says, we're not supposed to eat of that tree. And Satan comes, has God actually said? Questioning the authority of God in one's life. Calling into question the veracity and reliability of God's word. Sowing the seeds of doubt in the minds of people so as to deceive and destroy us. 
Verse 3 and 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Juxtaposed against sound, or again in the Greek, it's really a healthy teaching, what's good for you. They turn to myths or fanciful stories. People will turn away from what is true and healthy to the soul in order to embrace that which is not true and unhealthy to the soul. I remember way back when I became a Christian, this pastor used to say, garbage in, garbage out. If you take in garbage, you're going to reap that. We all know that with diet, you know. If you eat too much sugar, you know what's going to happen. It's not going to go well for you. Um, Garbage in, garbage out. Something that's unhealthy to the soul. Embracing absurdity because, because the alternative is unthinkable. And it's really amazing, these guys that argue for evolution. Going back just to that one there, that if, if there's only two options. Either God created the world or it created itself. And we can't even go there to think that God created this world. So it's got to be the other thing. It must have created itself. And there's so many physical... Uh, philosophical problems with that. There are so many levels of that. Um, embracing absurdity becomes the, uh, the alternative to um, healthy, sound truth. The Greek word for the phrase wander off means to twist out. In a medical sense, it would refer to the twisting out of a joint out of its socket making it perform a function that it was never intended to do. Going against the natural movement of one of the parts of your body, your soul was meant to love and serve God, being guided by the scriptures. But John 3.19 says that this problem of being twisted out, it says they love darkness more than light. Again, not to go to the light because uh, in fear that their evil deeds will be exposed. Love for sin becomes so great that they are willing to believe any lie that justifies their passions. And then uh, this final point. Uh, Christians need to speak the truth because it is the only hope for the world. As hard as that might be, truth is what we all need. Sometimes it's hard to hear the truth. And... um, and so it is that, but in the end, it's the only thing that's going to bring us peace and happiness and a mindset that is anchored to what is real. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Keith Green, anybody know Keith Green? How many of you know Keith Green? Wow. Wow. You're all dating yourselves. That's back in the 70s, right? Keith Green remarked that Christians are the only living representatives of Christ to the world. Uh, Keith, well, by, by the way, you, most of you didn't raise your hands on Keith Green. Keith Green, he was a singer. He played piano, amazing songs. I, I, I suggest you listen to The Prodigal Son. It'll bring tears to your eyes. Um, so look it up, Keith Green. Um, if we, if we are the only living representatives of Christ to the world, if we get it wrong or if we shrink back in the work of speaking truth, then the world is hopeless. They're hopelessly lost. Romans 10, 14 says, 
How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? To, to be sober-minded is juxtaposed against being intoxicated by sin. And this is the, 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 the thing that Paul wants to point out. The world is, has become drunk on absurdity. And he says, you believer, don't be that way. Be sober-minded. Don't get intoxicated by sin. Um, in fact, even fight against these things. He says, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfilling your ministry are all offensive postures. They're not just defensive. It's not like we just sit back and, and wait for the world to come at us. We're actually to go out and expose it. Ephesians 5.11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I don't know if you've ever seen, you, most of you have probably seen a drunk person get into a fight. They lose terribly. They can't even swing their arm, you know. And they lose terribly. And that's, we need to see that. The world is drunk. And we're the carriers of truth. If we're afraid to come up against them and fight. And I, I just want to point out another thing, too, just, as, just to stop there. Um, Ephesians 5.11, is it 5.11 or 6.10, says that our battle is not against these people. Our fight is against Satan. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and authorities in the heavenly places. But getting back to the whole idea of the drunken absurdity that we, we're there, you, have, you carry with you in your Bible the sword of the Spirit, which is truth, and it will always conquer over lies. We're being fed the idea that we're that we can't come up against that. You have a strength and a power behind you in the truth of God's word that will overcome these things. There is this element in Paul's writing uh, also. Just uh, turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and looking at verses 6 and 8. I didn't include it in the sermon, but I would like to read it. There is this element in Paul's writing about Christians being on the offensive. Um, reading verse 6 to 8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We are faced with the fact that Jesus is coming soon. While the world is moving faster and faster down the road of destruction, the truth is the only hope for them. And again, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and authorities of the heavenly places. Our enemy, our arch enemy is Satan. It's not other people. And I just want you to be clear of that. Even those who have been used by Satan are deceived into believing that what he says is true. And we are the ones to bring it. Take up the challenge now and fight the fight of faith. Finish the race. Keep the faith. And be the one who stands up for truth, for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you for the day that we have before us. I want to thank you for the word of God. It's truth. It's power. 
pray that God that um, we will be able to take some of these ideas and apply them to our lives help us Lord to stand up for truth and not uh, cower away when um, drunken absurdity is, approaches us and so Lord I, I just pray right now that God that if there's anybody here who has done, given themselves and their heart and life to Jesus Christ that they will do so and that the, your spirit will open their hearts and they may believe so God do that for us, and we want to give you thanks. Thank you for the Bible. It's truth to us. Help us, Lord, again, to stand up against error, against the lies of the world. And this we pray, and just go with us as we go from here as um, vehicles of truth to, to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.